You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jenna Sargent, news editor of SD Times. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about quantum computing, which is something that we don't really talk about much here at SD Times, but it's an interesting topic. So to help us out with that, I'm speaking with Chris Monroe, who is the co-founder and chief scientist at IonQ. Welcome, Chris. Uh, Thank you, Janet. Pleasure to be here. So I guess a good place to get started would be, um, like, I know for a lot of people, quantum computing kind of seems like this, like, distant future thing. So can you kind of put us into, like, the context of, like, where is it currently and, like, what? What does that mean for like software development? Uh, yeah, g- good question. I, I I might go back in time and say if we were developing regular computers in the 20th century, uh, in I don't know the early 60s, say <laughs> that's sort of where quantum computing is now with this new technology. So, in other words, um, there's a good idea what the hardware looks like. Um, there's not a very good idea exactly how it will be used 10, 20 years from now, but there are lots of opportunities and we're starting to see, you know, interesting applications come out of the woodwork. You know, in the 60s, we had what calculators, uh, sort of mundane number crunchers. You couldn't imagine anything like, like, you know, buying things on the internet using your computer or uh, tracking where you are using a network of GPS transmitters. So, um, yeah, I, I think the exciting part of quantum computing field is that, you know, history will repeat itself here and we have no idea, you know, the, uh, the you know, h- how much these systems will be used in the future. And we're right at the right at the birth of it, right at the beginning. It's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. I guess to take a step back, the reason like we got connected in the first place was that INQ had um at the time recently announced um, partnerships with like Dell and Hyundai, for example. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like hybrid quantum platforms and kind of what, how, like how that differs from like normal quantum computing? Is there a difference at all? Like, I guess maybe just a definition for our listeners who aren't. Right. Familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I might start at the beginning and I don't have to take long. You, you, you know, your listeners might think that, Quantum physics is something way beyond them, and it's it's you know it's this super hard field. It actually isn't. It's it it's easy to define what what's going on there. It's hard to really understand it, and that's true for all of us. I mean, even even Einstein didn't really uh, didn't really accept what what quantum physics is telling us. So the basic rules when when you apply it to computing, qu- quantum physics allows things to exist in multiple states or multiple uh, um, you know, states of being at the same time. And that's very weird because we don't see any of that in our everyday life, right? Yeah, you know, this coffee cup is in one place, exactly one place. When, when you apply it to computing, you can store multiple numbers at the same time with a single device. And it, you know, it's maybe kind of obvious that that allows you to do massively parallel computing in ways that you could never do using a non-quantum machine. So with sort of the ground rules set, um, you ask questions on our partnerships at INQ with with some uh, uh, clients who want to use quantum computers to solve problems. 
Well, there's a little bit of a kind of chicken and the egg thing here in that um, I just said earlier that you know, there, there, there are lots of potential applications, but none of them yet is, is really producing value right now. But we know as we scale our systems up in their performance and their size, um, in not too many years, we will pass the point where we're starting to see applications come out that you could never run on a classical, a regular conventional computer. And this is because of that massive parallelism. Let me put it another way. Uh, computer, conventional computers are usually uh, weighed by their bits. You know, they're measured by how many bits they have, how many, you know, big, how big numbers, how many numbers can you store, et cetera. Quantum computers um, are measured in some extent by the number of quantum bits they have. And quantum bits can be in a superposition of zero and one at the same time, not just the definite state zero and one. And the point I want to make here is that every time you add a quantum bit, um, which is a single, it's sort of like the transistor of a quantum computer. In our case, they're individual atoms. Every time you add a single atom that can store zero and one, you've doubled this, you've doubled the um, storage capacity of that device. So this is like compound interest where the interest is 100%, right? You don't have to add too many quantibus before the possibilities uh, become just enormous. Even a few hundred atoms can store more possibilities than, than there are atoms in the universe. So you get to big numbers really fast. And so these partners at INQ are working on small versions of algorithms that when we build bigger machines will allow them to solve problems they couldn't otherwise, like problems in logistics optimization that requires that you consider many, many uh, configurations of some problem. I know the um, the companies I mentioned are like pretty big, big, big companies, but does this make it um, accessible to like even companies that aren't like the top companies in the world? Or is it still at a state where it's like you really have to have like um, lots of money, lots of like infrastructure in place already in order to make use of it? No, not to make use of it. To, to build one of these things, uh, I would say yes. Right now, you know, the technology is somewhat exotic in a certain way. Um, there, there are technologies that cool the system down to nearly absolute zero to, to make sure it's quantum. We actually don't take that approach. Our systems can run at room temperature. But what's exotic about our systems is that we have individual atoms, one at a time. You can count them. You can see them. And we poke at them with laser beams, optics. So, you know, that doesn't look like a conventional computer at all. But our computers are also very high, high, highly performing. Um, and, yeah, indeed, there's a lot of uh, there's over two decades of research that have gone into the systems we're uh, commercializing at INQ. But to use the systems, it's not expensive at all. And in fact, we were the first company to, to put our systems on the three major cloud providers at Amazon, AWS, uh, Google Cloud Platform, and Microsoft Azure. So anybody can get access to them um, uh, th through those. If you have an account with Azure, you can get access to a quantum computer. Um, so access is not hard, but you ask the question, why are big companies seemingly getting into this? Well, you know, the, I think the the advantage of the first mover is something that these big companies know a lot about. And these big companies are largely in the computing space, not always. Another example is Hyundai. 
they they want to model new types of solid state batteries where our conventional computers fall flat in in being able to to model some of the battery chemistry they there there's there may be a route for quantum computers to do this and come up with new novel materials for batteries but also these car companies Hyundai in particular uh, who, who we're partnering with they're interested in autonomous vehicles that need to solve some pretty vexing logistics problems you know how to how to navigate through a crowded city and recognize all the patterns that you see. Um, so, so these big companies, again, they 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 can afford to have teams, full-time teams thinking about quantum computing. Maybe that's where uh, you see lots of big companies, but there are small companies as well that are more specialized uh, uh, working on quantum computer algorithms without building them, they can use them. So the good news is you know, anybody can get access to machines such as ours. Um, but it's it's true, and we need these very big companies to start to invest uh, their own teams into not only using these machines, but stimulating how we build the next generation and giving us a mo- give us a motivation for scaling our systems up. Since we're a development podcast, um, and our audience is mostly software developers, I was wondering if you could kind of share some of the the top things that developers should kind of be aware of of this technology in its current form? Hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm not sure how to answer that. The, 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 a quantum computer is not the next generation conventional computer, not, not even 10 generations down. It is so radically different at the most basic level that we have to rethink what it means to be software, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there there is software for quantum computers. It's just that... Um, uh, it you really really have to think differently. Um, and right now we program at a very low level, even you know even more basic than assembler code, which I you know I, I programmed when I was a kid. But we're programming at the individual gate level. We're playing around with individual effective transistors, and that's something that we you know the last time we did that with conventional computers was probably the fifties. We quickly went into a kind of a low level bare bones software layer. And then from that abstracted much higher uh, level languages, you know, basic Fortran and now, you know, C++ and Python. Um, So, so, so uh, it really is a different way of thinking. You know, that that said, we use all, um, all of the conventional software and hardware we can to control our quantum computers. But at the end of the day, the gate uh, logic is is entirely different. It's um, it's almost hard to compare. Um, that said, you know, at universities we have computer science students that um, they end up learning a little bit about quantum quantum computers in in college. Some of them go to companies and do more. Um, so it's it's more of an add on, I think, to existing you know software capabilities that that the workforce has. But there's also, I would say, there's a shortage. People are, you know, we 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 need more machines, and you know that's going to happen as soon as we scale through the threshold where we're producing value. Then people are going to flock to it, and then I think we're going to see a lot more investment, especially on the software side, and that will give us the higher level uh, languages and and libraries to run e- even more complicated systems. I'm not a software guy <laughs> myself. Uh, I'm a hardware hardware person, but I I do realize that the power of these computers uh, is really in the software layer in the long mm-hmm. run. What are some of the like challenges that 
are kind of standing in the way of like research and innovation into quantum computing. Hmm. Um, yeah, there are many. I mean, some of them are sociological. Um, some people think of quantum physics and they think science fiction, especially the fiction part. And when you're when you're confronted with the real rules of quantum, you know, in a sense, they are kind of unbelievable. But the theory of quantum physics has been tested uh, to more accuracy and verified to more accuracy than any other theory in all of nature. So it's here to stay. Um, so one challenge is just getting uh, a mature engineering and software engineering workforce to not worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's here. Quantum physics is here, whether you like it or not. There's there's another interesting challenge. It's somewhat sociological, and we see that um, I, you know we see that in the technology at INQ. Um, conventional computers have always been made since the 40s out of solid state components, silicon in particular. You know, silicon became the became the standard that um, you know early on it wasn't clear what this what the set what the best semiconductor would be. But everybody jumped on the silicon bandwagon, and that sort of drove innovation in, in a nice, what they say is a virtuous circle. Now, quantum computers, um, nobody really knows how to make a quantum computer work in solid state and in silicon in particular. Even though you cool it to nearly absolute zero, every little silicon transistor is different. If you've ever seen an electron micrograph of a of a of a computer chip, it looks like carpet. You know, it looks fuzzy and noisy. Everyone's a little different. You can't do that with quantum computers. You really need to be able to replicate the quantum bit almost perfectly. Otherwise, the superposition I talked about earlier kind of gets destroyed. Um, and we use individual atoms. They're actually atomic clocks, and they are identical because they're the same element, same isotope, and we can replicate it. But it's not a conventional type of computer, and a lot of people just turn their turn turn the other way because they think that because it's a computer, it needs to be based in silicon. And I, I have to say, I, I think without serious breakthroughs, I don't see solid state quantum computers ever working. Uh, so that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, fortunately, our performance speaks for itself. Uh, we were able to run the largest quantum circuits really in any platform. And it's not just the qubit number, but you need to match how many qubits you have with the number of operations. Every time you make more qubits, you have to do more operations, meaning each qubit has to be even better performing. Um, and so that's a that's an engineering challenge in our case. I think it's a fundamental physics challenge when it comes to solid state uh, quantum computing devices. I also wanted to ask what you're most excited about in this space currently, since I know this is kind of your whole area of expertise, like what, what's getting you really, really interested these days? Well, I, I got started in the field a um, long time ago in the world of atomic clocks. That sounds pretty esoteric. I worked for the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Boulder, Colorado. We were making atomic clocks. It turned out we, to make better atomic clocks, we needed to entangle these atoms, um, that's a little bit of a buzzword, but that's really the currency behind a quantum computer entanglement. And it turned out we were making the first quantum logic gate when I, when I worked with Dave Wineland, uh, you know, many, many years ago. Um, you know, that's exciting work, of course, the, the atomic physics, lasers and optics. But over the last decade plus, what I found most exciting about this field is that I'm a student again. I'm learning, I'm learning an algorithm on how you factor numbers. I'm learning uh, what are the limits to optimizing 
the roots of all the Amazon trucks and planes in the world. Um, these are these are uh, problems I never really thought about, but they're very hard. And how you wire them on a quantum computer really requires that you study up and learn new things. I'm learning chemistry. I mentioned the battery application, learning how to apply uh, uh, the modeling of a molecule onto a quantum computer. And I'll go on and on. There's a lot of science, uh, even understanding the thermodynamics of a black hole, believe it or not. There's some overlap with with uh, qubits and quantum circuits. Um, I find that you know just fascinating. It's like I'm living a science fiction book, It's but it's not fiction. Um, so I find that very exciting. I, I also, um, even though I don't play the lottery, I understand why people do. Um, and it's, you know, the excitement of the unknown. And um, I know quantum computing is going to hit big. I just don't know exactly where. Um, but once that domino falls, it's like all of the applications that we approximate poorly right now, like optimization, like forecasting, uh, modeling complex things, like even weather patterns. I, I think they're all going to fall. And yeah, that's going to be truly exciting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch it all unfold. Um, well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. I, I think this is a really interesting conversation. Very good, Jenna. It's my pleasure uh, to be here anytime. <laughs>